Welcome back to this six-part video lecture series that will be your primer into Buddhist Taoist esotericism. It is my hope that you'll see this series as an open invitation to learn more about the occult traditions I practice and to find from it something that might deepen yours. In the last lecture, we covered history. We left off with the decline and even persecution of Taoist magic in modern China. That deeply embedded history in a people becomes a deeply embedded subconscious, maybe even unconscious attitude, and that's secrecy in Chinese occultism. Perhaps the first thing you might notice is native practitioners don't really talk about Taoist magic to outsiders. If we're going to talk Taoist sorcery and its cultural practice, we also need to understand that by and large, Chinese occultists who inherit their practice of the craft also inherit this resistance to share too much. Not me, I'm not referring to myself, I share everything, clearly. But I mean, yeah, among native practitioners, especially from my mother's generation and my grandparents' generation, there's this impenetrable attitude of, you just don't talk about this stuff. Inner circle only, you only talk about it in inner circles. Which is why, I speculate, you hear so little about Taoist sorcery and Chinese occultism in the West, those who are actually the native practitioners aren't sharing shit. Nevertheless, even when Chinese occultism isn't out in the open, oxymoron? Even when Chinese occultism isn't out in the open today, Taoism is still at the root of the Chinese consciousness, even if we don't always acknowledge it. Almost all of our major holidays, like the Moon Festival Qimingjie, which is called Tomb Sweeping Day, the, even the Lunar New Year, are based on the sexagenary calendar. We talked about this in video two when we covered history. Long associated with Taoist magic and divination, a calendar system that's estimated to be almost 5,000 years old and is still the calendar system that the Chinese use today. Wait, hold on, let me show you. This is the Chinese lunar solar sextenary calendar. You saw this earlier in video two when we covered Neolithic China. Lunar solar, meaning it reconciles the path of the sun and the phases of the moon, and sextenary, meaning it's a 60-year cycle. Each year denotes a binary character consisting of a heavenly stem on the left and an earthly branch over on the right. The heavenly stem, and there are 10 of them, is based on the sun cycle, and in ancient times, the Chinese believed there were 10 suns, taking their turns rising in the skies each day for a 10-day week. Those familiar with Chinese mythology and the story of Hoi the archer probably have a light bulb going on right about now. Earthly branches, 12 in total, correspond with the 12 astrological zodiac animals. Earthly branches are based on the phases of the moon, with 12 moon cycles for a year, so each moon is one month. That's the Chinese lunar calendar. Case in point, year 36 of the 60-year cycle is 2019 in the Gregorian calendar system. That's the system you're probably used to. In metaphysical theory, history repeats itself, and some of the political and social events we saw as a collective global society 60 years ago is going to happen again in 2019. 60 years ago was 1959. Ooh, what a year of revolutions. Fidel Castro led the Cuban Revolution overthrew Batista and came into power. The Dalai Lama and Tibetans revolted against the Chinese. 60 years ahead of that was 1899. Ooh, the Philippine-American War. 
Before that was 1839. Ooh, Hong Kong goes to Great Britain. First Opium War, the first U.S. anti-slavery political party, the Liberty Party, forms in New York. There was the Newport Rising, an armed rebellion, oh, and lots of other revolts, uprisings, and overthrows here and there throughout the world. By the way, these reference tables and more information about the sextenary calendar can be found in my book, The Tao of Craft. In my release of the second edition of Spirit Keeper's Tarot, its companion guidebook, The Book of Maps, we'll talk about correspondences between the heavenly stems and earthly branches with the tarot. So what does the cultural practice of Taoist sorcery look like? How is it actually practiced? That's the topic of today's discussion. I was always taught, and it was reinforced time and time again, that you don't talk about the Tao, you practice it. When you do talk about it, you don't talk about what Taoism is or is not, how you're supposed to do this or how you're not supposed to do that. When you talk about the Tao, you give what insights you can share to help others find their own way. The intent should never be to lead people onto your own path. The intent is to give illumination to the shared collective space around all of us so that there is enough light for each one of us to find the path we're looking for. And that could very well be a path different from your own, though it was inspired by your own. That, my friends, is Taoism 101. And that's why, in turn, Taoist sorcery is also not about making every single person do it exactly your way. Taoist sorcery presumes that there are some fundamentals, which we'll get into when we talk about metaphysics, but then what we do with those fundamentals will vary. The practice of Taoist magic in its pure form is like water taking on the shape of whatever container you put it in, able to carve valleys through mountains and yet gentle enough for brewing a cup of tea. Point is, if and when you witness Taoist practitioners or those who say they're Taoist practitioners telling you what to do, they're behaving like the container, not the water. The Tao is water, not a container. Oh, but Bell, you question, aren't there orthodox Taoist magical lineages that dictate exactly how their initiates must do everything? Yes, yes, of course there are. Taoist lineages and initiatory traditions are containers, not the Tao. They're extraordinary containers for cultivating Tao. But ultimately, for you, an individual on your own individual path, to truly find the Tao, you do have to transcend the container. And by the way, just so we're clear, by Tao, I mean personal mastery over both harmonizing with nature and the spirit world and controlling nature and the spirit world. Okay, so let's talk about the Chinese cultural practice of magic and occultism. Conceptually, I think folks try really hard to keep Buddhism and Taoism separate, but realistically, when you're looking at Chinese occult practices, the two are so intertwined that Chinese Buddhism has elements of Taoism and Taoism has elements of Buddhism. If you want to study Chinese occultism, you're going to be examining both Buddhist and Taoist elements. Buddhist divinities and prayers are used in Taoist sorcery. Classic example, Amitofo. Religious Buddhists would say that burning joss to the gods or to ancestors isn't necessary, but the practical reality is many Chinese who identify as Buddhist are still going to burn offerings to their ancestors. 
In fact, the common pairing is gold joss paper and silver joss paper. Why? Gold is for the divinities, and if you're Buddhist, that's the pantheon of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas from your particular branch of Buddhism, typically Mahayana or Pure Land Buddhism. Silver is for your ancestors. Finally, demonology. If and when you enter the world of studying Chinese demonology, the lines between esoteric Buddhism and esoteric Taoism really blur. When we examine esoteric Taoism, we might characterize it into two modes of practice, outer alchemy called Wai Dan and inner alchemy called Nei Dan. Outer alchemy is the body of knowledge and wisdom keyed toward one's relationship with the physical environment and society. It's discernment of a spirit world that is coexisting with us. It's about developing an interactive relationship with the gods and also with demons, with all that encompasses the spirit world. Inner alchemy is the body of knowledge and wisdom keyed toward your relationship with yourself. If outer alchemy is the study of the world beyond your own physical body, then inner alchemy is the study of the world within. Outer alchemy is the physical science of our universe and also study of the collective consciousness. Inner alchemy is psychology, it's personal development, it's understanding your own physical body and physical health, but also your own mind, your thoughts, and your own emotions. The exoteric purpose of either Wai Dan or Nei Dan would be to achieve harmony. The esoteric purpose would be to achieve control. Outer alchemy might be the practice of pharmacology, or what I'm referring to as pharmacology. This includes herbology, but it's also the use of animal parts with a purpose of controlling or modifying physical nature, or even human activity. The second is ceremonial magic. These are the rituals and liturgy observed by practitioners toward the objective of honoring nature or to try to control an aspect of nature. It's the ability to call upon gods, spirits, and demons and have them answer your petitions. The third is what I'll refer to roughly as superhuman physical developments, for lack of a better descriptive. This is the belief that alchemy can be used to achieve superhuman abilities such as enhanced psychic abilities, telekinesis, being blade-proof, which is an entire cultivation practice and art form devoted to acquiring the power of controlling the flow of blood if you are stabbed with a dagger and allegedly not dying from a stab wound, or fireproof where Taoist magicians claim they can pass their hands through fire, which is all to say you allegedly become impervious to physical harm. This is levitation, flying, allegedly, and modalities of martial arts, and just basically your own body coming into interaction with the world around you. Generally, practices of inner alchemy include meditation. This is cultivating the mind and personal psychology or psyche to achieve personal control, to attain a sense of inner harmony. Likewise, qigong is the practice of cultivating the body and your personal energy or life force. I would also categorize morality codes under nei dan, but it's debatable. The reason I put it under inner alchemy is because morality is about cultivating your karma. If you think morality is about your social relationships, then maybe you might consider it a form of outer alchemy. Talking head insert, many Taoist traditions, especially ones that are heavy on the Buddhism, subscribe to a belief in benevolence magic or karmic magic. 
This is the mystical theory that good deeds can manifest as personal power, which is then almost a kind of fuel. So benevolence magic can be actually outer alchemy or inner alchemy because it's outer alchemy when you use that fuel, that reservoir of good karma you've accumulated in, say, spellcrafting, ceremonial magic, or to create some kind of physical change in the world around you. Benevolence magic is inner alchemy when you use it to alleviate your own misfortunes, to strengthen your personal weaknesses, or anything toward improvement of the self, toward personal development. Finally, we've got dietary practices and traditional Chinese medicine. A lot of the theories, principles, and practices are the same as pharmacology, but here it's directed toward yourself rather than toward others. Classically, this is herbology and mystic medicine for achieving longevity and toward discovering the elixir of life. And can we once again acknowledge the difficulty of absolutely categorizing any of those aforementioned practices as strictly outer alchemy or strictly inner alchemy? That's totally Taoist, isn't it? Taoism is basically the religion of ambiguity and wishy-washiness. The practical reality is your practice is going to be a blending of both. For example, there are elements of qigong in ceremonial magic, so in that sense, even though I put qigong under inner alchemy, it can also be outer alchemy when you use it for outer alchemical purposes. Technically, this next part I want to cover should go under Taoist metaphysics, so we're going to revisit these trinities again in video 4. A crucial, arguably essential principle in Taoist metaphysics, and therefore in the practice of alchemy, is the principle of threes, the Trinitarian formula. And in outer alchemy, that's expressed as heaven, earth, and man. The concept is taught by Taoist occultists as the metaphor of the cauldron, the cauldrons or Chinese pots of antiquity, which you'll find common during the Bronze Age had three legs. So the metaphor of the cauldron is that anything you do, any form of cooking, shall we say, requires a formula of three. Spellcrafting, ritual crafting, anything and everything, outer alchemy requires accommodation of this Trinitarian principle of having three elements added to your alchemical pot for blending. One is heaven, the second is earth, and the third is man. In all modalities of Taoist craft, something has to represent heaven, something has to represent earth, and something has to represent man. How you integrate heaven, earth, and man in outer alchemy, of course, is an individual and customized decision based on each practitioner. So here is just one example of how you might go about it. In ritual for ceremonial magic, heaven might be consideration of astrology. Earth is consideration of feng shui and the four directions. Man would be the words of intention and the energy of your personal intentions that you mobilize the ritual with. Furthermore, this trinity reveals what it takes to achieve power. One cannot just focus on the light or only focus on the dark. You need to achieve mastery over both. Mastery requires interaction with celestials and equally demons or hell beings. But you can't just focus on the world of spirits. You also need to achieve reconciliation with mankind, with the human beings around you. That's the fundamental, the essential law of trinities, which Taoists learn through the metaphor of the cauldron. Now let's address inner alchemical modalities, and once again we've got the metaphor of the cauldron, the trinitarian principle, though here it's better expressed as shen jing qi. 
I talked a bit about this in a previous video on my channel, which I'll link in the description box. I listed on the screen as Shen, Jing, and Qi to mirror the order we put heaven, earth, and man for outer alchemy, but the more common spoken practice is to say Jing, Qi, Shen. This is referred to as the three treasures, or San Bao. Jing is seed energy. It's the source of nutrients or what it takes for fertilization. It correlates with earth. This is the essential ingredient that sparks creation. For reasons you might be able to conceptualize, Jing is often associated with the practice of sex magic in Taoist occultism. Qi is force, but more precisely, force that does work. And by work, we're talking physics. If you can understand the concepts of work and energy in the laws of physics, then as a metaphor, you can understand Qi. Qi correlates with man, and it's the essential ingredient that pushes creation into development. Shen is spirit. In maybe new age psychological terms, it's the higher self. It's the part of you that's divine. But in most of us, that inner divinity is inactive. So inner alchemy is about activating that inner divinity, your Shen. Shen is the essential ingredient for transformation or transcendence. Now let's talk Taoist principles of magic. In Western occultism, I often hear practitioners talk about choosing between a left-hand path or right-hand path, or conversations about black magic versus white magic. Taoist sorcery, as you often see it today in contemporary times, has for better or for worse adopted a Western framework, and even native, as in Chinese Taoist magicians today, will talk about black magic versus white magic because of post-colonial brainwashing, as I said in video one, Western imperialism has left an indelible mark in the East. Asians use white standards of measurement to judge themselves, our standards of beauty, how being able to speak English means you're higher class, being Christian means you're even higher, higher class. You see this top-down everywhere, and sadly, Chinese occultism is no exception. Today, a lot of Asian people judge themselves and judge their own culture through white standards. So, if I may be so bold as to claim this, Taoist sorcery polluted by Western thought does talk about black magic versus white magic. But historically and philosophically, when you truly understand the framework Taoist sorcery first came out of, such as the Tao Te Ching, Chinese occultism requires its practitioners to master both. There is no white magic, black magic. You'll find this in philosophical Taoism as well. When you create good, you've also created evil. You cannot create good without creating evil. And maybe more optimistically, when you create evil, you also create good. You never create evil without also creating good. Taoist magic, when preserved in the context of Taoist philosophy, not just requires, but automatically, as in by default, is going to be mastery over so-called black magic and white magic simultaneously. Your intention may be to curse, which maybe we will call evil, but you cannot curse without incidentally creating good, goodness. You may be the most love and light, fluffy, happy, goody-goody practitioner of craft there ever was, 
But don't for a second think you do what you do without also having produced and brought evil into this world. And once again, I think this is a good time for yet another reminder that you cannot generalize about Taoist practice. It's like saying all pagans are the same, or all pagans practice the same thing, venerate the same patron deities, and share the same ethical codes of magic. Taoist sorcery, by its very fundamental nature, is elusive from definition. So what's the point of Taoist sorcery? Well, all right, aside from the generic response, it's whatever you want it to be, let's talk classics. Classically, Taoist magic is about acquiring immortality, the result if you've become one with the Tao. And you see this alchemical quest for immortality in Taoism going all the way back to Qing Shi Huang, and even earlier. I mean, way earlier. But the first emperor of Qin is probably the most famous example in mainstream history of that quest. What immortality means, however, well, that mileage can vary. The more folk magic practices are going to say immortality is rather literal, where you literally remain in your physical body and live forever. I reckon no one thinks that way anymore. Another aspect of it is longevity, where you physically extend the number of years you live in a way that is seen as extraordinary. When you get into more Buddhist-influenced practices of Taoist magic, immortality conflates with the concept of nirvana. I'll give you a Cliff Notes nutshell summary of how to achieve immortality. How about that? Okay, you ready? To achieve immortality, you cannot exist for yourself. Start with that aphorism and work your way through what it means to you. The way you interpret that Taoist truth and the path you choose to take in accordance with your interpretation is going to make all the difference. Take the next hour after you finish this video, the next few days, weeks even, to ponder what this means to you. Through this threshold, these simple words, you can find your path, your life purpose, find the meaning to your life, and ultimately, how you will achieve immortality for yourself. Yep, that's it. You're welcome. Okay, but no, real talk. What do classical Taoists say about achieving immortality? You recall this list, right? One of the classic ways of aspiring for immortality as a Taoist is through the preparation of tonics and elixirs made from herbs. Traditional Chinese medicine is a descendant of the ancient alchemical pursuit for the elixir of immortality. Petitioning a god or goddess who is purported to have the power to grant immortality to a human is another documented method. I'm inviting you to seek out Zhou Tian Xuanyi, Lady of the Ninth Heaven, or Lady of the Nine Heavens. Both are correct. Personally, I see her appearing youthful, dressed for war with Asiarite wings, but to each their own. There's a video on my channel where I talk about the Lady of the Ninth Heaven if you want to check that out. To start, Connect to her through an image or likeness of Zhou Tian Xuanyi, Lady of the Ninth Heaven. You can also call her Lady of the Nine Heavens, both are right. You certainly don't need a physical image, but just being the humans we are, most of us find it helpful to facilitate the level of concentration needed. 
anoint yourself and an enclosed space around you with sandalwood essence. For me, that's both sandalwood anointing oil and lighting sandalwood incense. Then sit in stillness until you have control over your thoughts. When you can feel yourself in control over your own mind, and believe me, it's harder than it sounds, focus your attention on that part of your mind connected to your sense of inner fight. Visualize something terrifying chasing you and you're running through a dense forest. You're in flight mode, adrenaline rushing. Then comes a point where a part of you realizes you're not going to outrun and escape this thing that's chasing you. It's just not going to happen. That's the moment you decide, you turn around and you choose to fight. When that happens, call out to the Lady of the Ninth Heaven. Go ahead, you can speak to her in any language. Call her by her name in any tongue. Then just lean in to creative visualization. Don't shut your imagination down or block yourself with doubt and skepticism. Just open yourself and be receptive to whatever impressions come to you. Pay attention, listen, see, feel, smell what you can sense close to you and what you can sense is at a distance. Take everything in. Afterward, keep a journal dedicated just to your work with the Lady of the Nine Heavens to document these meditative and exploratory experiences. And try, try again. Persistence and being the type who won't give up is almost kind of a requirement. So keep that in mind if you get nothing the first few times. Now, where were we? Keys to achieving immortality? Right, let's talk about meditation. Meditation through repetitious chanting of certain mantras, sutras, or dharanis is a common cultural practice in Taoist occultism. In religious Buddhism, repetition of mantras or sutras in meditation is either toward nirvana, you know, for the super ambitious, or toward cultivating a more peaceful mind so that you can go through this life feeling a bit more centered. It's rather innocuous and can be quite secular. In Chinese occultism, however, meditation is used to change your physiology so that in theory, you come to master what others may perceive to be superhuman abilities. A great place to start is with Kuan Yin's Great Compassion Mantra. By the way, working with the Lady of the Ninth Heaven and Kuan Yin together is a great spiritual combination. The Lady of the Ninth Heaven is said to have an enormous amount of respect and reverence toward Kuan Yin. You can download a totally free copy of the Great Compassion Mantra from my website. Links will be provided in the video description box. The sacred text is given in transliterated Mandarin, how you'd pronounce it in English and in Sanskrit. Plus, the link I'll give to the resource contains a lot more info about the mantra. If you want to start cultivating what it's going to take to be a practitioner of Taoist sorcery, I recommend starting here one read-through of the mantra every day. Then, as you feel more and more guided by the powers that be, that frequency might increase or you might move on to other mantras and sutras. Let's also talk about qigong. I consider qigong a cousin of meditation. It's about incorporating physical movements to help regulate the flow of qi life force in a way that will be more harmonizing 
In comparison, meditation is about regulating the flow with the power of your mind. Now, I'm not going to show you any qigong because one, I'm not qualified, and two, that's going to make me look really silly on camera. So no thanks, I'll pass. Now, let's not pretend this video series I'm doing is altruistic. I'm hoping you'll go out and buy my book, The Tao of Craft. See, in my book, I start with food talismans and sigil crafting, but branch out to cover the many cultural practices in Taoist magic. There's cloud writing, the esoteric traditions that popularized it, how it's used, and translations from Chinese grimoires dating back to 400 AD on using food sigils for invoking spirit protection, per elementals, directions, and the sacred seven planets. How famous Chinese alchemists like Go taught Taoist magic. The Tao of Craft is intended to be a primer in the English language for Taoist magic. I've even included translations and spellcrafting instructions from Chinese books of methods never before presented in the English language. If you're a cheap ass and just want free shit, it's okay. I've still got you covered. Go to my website, which is www.benabellwen.com, and head to the section Online Courses. Click on the tab for Free Courses and scroll down until you see Practica of Esoteric Craft. Click on the heading and there you're going to find totally free video tutorial courses, plus written supplemental handouts you can download as PDFs. There's an episode on poison magic, considered a form of malevolent witchcraft. Learn about Zhao Bei or moon block divination and how to integrate the practice into your own craft. Try your hand at crafting the seal of changes and really get hands-on with Taoist magic. And perhaps one of the more well-known modalities of Taoist sorcery will interest you, Thunder Rites. Yep, I've got a primer on that too. And if you read through the webpage on Thunder Rites accompanying the video, you'll get plenty of introductory level instruction on getting started in Taoist Thunder Magic. Magic. If that's not enough free shit for you, first, you greedy little bastard, but second, okay, fine. Hit up my website again, and this time, head to About the Tao of Craft. You can read excerpts from the Tao of Craft to decide whether it's a book you might want to buy for your personal occult library. You can also download lots of Taoist magic correspondence tables, reference charts, calendar and astrological systems for Taoist ceremonial magic, and so much more. Then there's a whole page of downloadable Fu Talisman Instructables. These are step-by-step -step downloadable PDF handouts on what I guess I'll call low magic spellcrafting. And if you've gone through all of that and you're thinking, you know, maybe I should support this woman, then return to the online courses tab to check out some of the online independent study courses I offer. The course on esoteric practices of the I Ching Book of Changes might be the most relevant to this video series you're watching. And guess what? The course comes with my translation of the Book of Changes along with how to use the hexagrams in Taoist magic. To close, I'd like to circle back to Neolithic China sometime between 3000 and 2000 BC when we first invented writing. Writing, which is what food talismans or sigil crafting is all about, the crown and glory of Taoist magic, inspires the Chinese Taoist idea that words hold power. On a mundane level, you can see that in everyday life, the way words can implant ideas and ideologies in people and how that fuels political movements. 
leaders rise and fall because of words. Whether you succeed in life is determined in large part by the words you craft. The high value that the Chinese hold over scholarship, education, and literacy is, yes, in part Confucianist, I'm sure, but the fundamental root of it, I would argue, is subconsciously Taoist, and more specific than that, Taoist because it's valued as a form of esoteric power. The practice of feng shui, even acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine come from esoteric Taoism and the body of knowledge cultivated by Taoist magicians and alchemists. And yet, most Chinese and overseas Chinese, those of us living in the West, seem perfectly content to ignore the Taoist aspects of our heritage, of who we are and where we come from, of the role Taoist magic plays for those of us who are the descendants of the dragon. Whether you examine it from a mythological, magical, or historic lens, the earliest forms of Neolithic shamanism is still an integral part of who we are, of what is in our DNA, what is in the Chinese and diasporic Chinese consciousness. The cultural practice of Taoist sorcery is tied to Chinese and Taiwanese identity, whether or not you want to accept that. I don't think I fully appreciated my heritage until after the research and deep dive I did into esoteric Taoism. Let me give you an example. We touched on this in an earlier video. In 1929, Edwin Hubble proved that the universe is expanding and now in the realm of science, we begin to explore the metric expansion of the galaxies. Over the summer of 2016, which is really not that long ago, Nobel scientists confirmed that in fact the universe is expanding at about 5% to 9% faster than we had thought. They are so sure of their scientific findings that they are only giving themselves a 2.4% margin of error. So is this a modern discovery? Well, as we talked about in video two on history, 4,000 years ago, a Chinese shamanic king conceived of the He Tu spiral sequence, a depiction, he said, of the universe, and he said, depicting that the universe is like a spiral, dynamic and expanding. He used astrology and numerology to intuit this knowledge. If you look at the depiction of the spiral sequence this shamanic king drew, numbering the spirals outward from, from the center, one, two, three, and on to nine, you get the ratio of one to nine for expansion, which essentially suggests a 11% rate of increase for the metric expansion of our universe. Over on the left is the He Tu sequence. I cover this in the Tao of Craft, pages 30 to 33. What you see on the right is the spiral sequence of creation that the shamanic emperor Fuxi devised. The spiral sequence of creation, the He Tu, forms the early heaven Bakwa, or Fuxi Bakwa, and you can read about that on pages 25 to 28. If you check out the spiral sequence, it kind of reminds me of the Catholic sign of the cross, doesn't it? What this Chinese shamanic king knew more than 4,000 years ago through intuitive knowledge is what we gained through scientific knowledge only 100 years ago. The He Tu spiral sequence, by the way, is an esoteric Taoist concept that throughout history and cultural practice, even today, is integrated into Taoist magical practices. Pacing rituals and ceremonial magic is premised on the spiral sequence. 
in Taoist creation myth that dates back to the Zhou dynasty, heaven created earth and then earth created man. Specifically, Lao Tianye, the heavenly father, first created heaven, which is the stars and planets. Then, according to Taoist creation myth, the heavenly father took parts of the stars to form earth, the planet we live on. Then the Heavenly Father took from both heaven, parts of the stars, and earth, and specifically water from this planet, and combined them, stardust and water, to form man or humanity. So Taoist cosmology purports that heaven and earth together created man. Today, science is confirming that the chemical composition of stardust particles resembles the organic solids of meteorites, and the meteorites are the remnants of primordial solar nebula. As part of Earth's history, meteorites bombarded the surface of our planet, implanting Earth with the seeds of primordial organic materials from heaven, or stardust, and then the zygote for human life was formed. Man, per science, is made up of stardust and water, which resonates with what the ancient Chinese intuited thousands of years ago. Propelled by Chinese shamanism and Taoist magic, what the Chinese knew through their mysticism is only becoming now known to modern scientists of the 20th and 21st centuries. So another reason I believe understanding our past and where we came from, the ancient thoughts that our modern thoughts descend from, is so important is because I believe the future of science and innovation can be revealed by our past, by going back in history to examine the mystic wisdom of our ancestors. In the next video of this series, I'll be covering Taoist metaphysics. Then in 5 and 6, we're finally going to get you started on your personal solitary practice of Chinese and Taiwanese occultism. If you missed episodes 1 and 2, I'll link the playlist for the video series in the description box. Thanks for watching, and please take a moment to comment and let me know what you think of this series.